very dramatic. I always, that, when we watched it last week, I was like, man, that's intense. Now I feel like I need to like jump right in and be really exciting. Um, but first, I'm just going to tell you a couple embarrassing stories because um, I feel like that's the best way to start. So like Mark said, my name is Sarah, and I am so excited to get to, sorry, this is, uh, is that better? Are the T's still sounding crazy? They are. I'm sorry. It's this thing. I was, when they put it on me this morning, I said, this thing is not made for people with long hair because it goes behind your head and it fell off like three times. And I said, it's just, I guess I should shave my head if I'm going to start wearing this thing. But I'm afraid that my head is like really lumpy. Actually, I think it would be nice to not have hair because then I wouldn't have to do it every morning. But I'm also afraid that I'd be really, no, Matt says it's not cool to not have hair. So, sorry, those of you who don't have hair, but Matt doesn't have hair either, and apparently it's not cool. So, I'll keep my long hair, and hopefully this microphone won't cause any problems. Um, But, I don't know if you guys have ever had the experience um, where you just feel like tremendously unqualified to do something. I find myself in that position often. Um, I don't know if it's because... Um, I really am just that unqualified to do so many things, or if I think that I'm like better than I am and I put myself in these positions, honestly, it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, But I'm going to tell you just a couple of times that when I think about that, I reflect on these stories. One of them happened, um, this was several years ago, I was helping to lead a high school team um, to the country of the Philippines. Uh, So it was me and two other adults, a married couple who were in their 40s named Jim and Tammy, The three of us were in charge of this group of about 14 or 15 high schoolers. So the Philippines are exactly on the other side of the world, if you're unfamiliar with the geography. I lived in Thailand for a while, and my best friend thought that that was in South America. So if you're, it's not, by the way. So if you're unfamiliar with geography, it's okay, I'm not judging you. So it's on the other side of the world, like exactly 12 hours different. Um, I actually have a picture of kind of what this place looks like. That's not it. Uh, There we go, there, that's... That's what it looks like over there. So um, while we were in the Philippines, we had done ministry for like three weeks. And right at the end, we took our students to this place called the Hundred Islands. That's what this is a picture of. And as you may have deduced, it's a place with a hundred islands. And um, many of them, like you can see kind of in the background of this picture, are totally deserted. They're undeveloped. It's just kind of, I mean, some of them you can't even get onto because the surf has hit against them and kind of carved away this, um, carved away the, yeah, around the edge. What's that called? And uh, so you can't actually climb onto the island, but some of them have sandy beaches like this one that you can see that we were on. So we had rented two boats for the day and we're traveling just from island to island, stopping, getting out, swimming, letting our students see this place. It was so beautiful. So in the middle of this day, we had kind of stopped in the middle of the water, and the water you can see is really blue, but you can, it's also completely clear, so you can see all the way to the bottom. And so we stopped, and these Filipino guides that we had had pointed down into the water, and when you looked over the side of the boat, you could see that there were these giant clams, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that this is how big they were. So just these huge clams just sitting down at the bottom of the water. And so um, Jim, one of the other leaders, said, well, let's swim out, like, let's swim down there and let's go touch him. And so I'm like, it seems like a terrible idea, but okay. So everyone jumps off the boats and we swim down and um, they're like really, some of them were open and when you would get close to them, they would like snap shut. And so then we were like, maybe we should leave so someone doesn't lose a hand or a foot. Um, But Jim, of course, 
picks one up and swims to the surface with it because some of our girls were too scared to dive down there and see it. Um, and so he's got this thing. The Filipino guys are like, no, like put it down. You know, this is terrible. So he drops it and it sinks back to the bottom, whatever. Okay. So he then gets back in the boat and realizes that in this whole escapade, he has, um, like severely cut his foot. Um, it's right on his toe and it's like cut. I mean, it's bleeding really badly. We can't see how bad it is. Um, in the meantime, his wife had gotten really, really seasick. And so she had gotten the other boat to take her back to the place that we were staying. So she and a couple of our students were gone. So now it's like 10 kids and me and Jim, and he's like bleeding out of his foot, okay? So we land on this island, and as the only other adult, the students are all like, Sarah, you have to fix this problem. And so um, I am by no means a nurse. I know that some of you guys are, and thank the Lord for people like you, because it's like disgusting to me. I don't know what to do. There's a lot of blood. And so Jim's like, I don't know what to tell you. And so I found one of the students from our team, I sent him just into the jungle and said like, find me some stuff, right? Like I had no idea. And so he was from Hawaii and I felt like he could probably figure it out. And he did actually, I know that's stereotyping, but it was true in this case. So he went into like the jungle and found all this aloe plant and brought it back out. And so we like washed it out with ocean water and then we just wrapped it up with all this aloe. It was or aloe plant. It was a total disaster. Um, Jim ended up never regaining the feeling in his foot, like the toe, just in the toe. His foot's okay, but the toe, it like healed back together, but he could never feel his toe ever again. So um, massively unqualified. So if you're bleeding, please do not come and find me. I cannot help you. There's nothing I can do for you. Um, and an, another time, um, I was leading a team of high school students. Uh, we were stateside this time. There were 30 of us. 30 students and then about five adults. And that's what this next picture is of. We travel around in one of these blue buses. Um, and it is a ghetto old school bus. I don't know how else to describe it to you. And so basically every summer that I've led one of these teams, the bus stops running. And so it had broken down in the middle of the road. We were up by Marion, Ohio. And, um, so I had, we kind of like, we managed to get it off of the road. And so I called my dad cause he knows everything about buses. And, um, he said, I, I described the problem. He said, I think it's just your starter. As long as you can like get it started, you should be able to drive it to the church. You can get your students there and then we can deal with it later. And I'm like, Okay, well, how am I supposed to do that? You can see here, we're trying to, that's me and this other guy, Chris, are under the bus trying to diagnose the problem. We were acting like we knew what we were doing. We had no idea. Um, but it made the students feel better that we were laying under there acting like we were in control. So um, my dad said, well, Sarah, this is a manual transmission. So all you need to do is pop the clutch on this bus and then it will, it'll start and then you can drive it. And I'm like, okay how do you do that? So um, he's like, okay, so he explains the whole process to me. So we're kind of on this little access road. And so um, I make all of my students get out. You can see on the next picture and they pushed us. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with how popping the clutch works on your car, if you drive a manual transmission, if you can get 
I'm probably going to do a terrible job explaining this. So um, if my dad was here, he would probably stand up and correct me. But this is how I understand it, okay? So if you can get it moving, if you can get it to roll, and then you basically have to like, you turn on the key and you let off the clutch and you push in the gas and you have to do it all in just the right combination and then it just magically starts running. Clearly, I am not a mechanic, okay? So he is explaining this to me. And so I'm like, well, I got 30 kids. I'm sure I can get them to push the bus. This will work, right? So they push us down the road and um, they were pushing us. They were from behind and they pushed and um, it didn't work. And so I made them come around to the front and push us back down to the road so that we could try it again and again. And on the fourth time, it finally started, right? So you would have thought that I had like cured cancer because when that bus started running, they were like, it's a miracle and they all like ran up and jumped on the bus and oh man it was awesome to hear them tell the story for the rest of the summer you really would have thought that like God actually came down and like started the bus running which honestly that might have happened because I'm so bad at popping the clutch but um that was another situation where I was massively underqualified to take care of the situation that I found myself in and you can probably relate to that in some way, maybe not when it comes to repairing someone's toe or popping the clutch on a ghetto old bus, but maybe it's in the job that you have, Um, maybe it's as a parent, maybe it's as a spouse, maybe it's as a friend, maybe it's as a volunteer at Movement, the things that we ask you to do, you're like, they clearly have no other options because no one should be asking me to do the stuff that I'm doing, right? Maybe, I don't know what it is, but I'm guessing that at some point in your life, you have just felt like, I, I, I do not have what it takes to do this job that's in front of me. And I'm also guessing that we've probably all felt that when it comes to sharing our faith, and when it comes to talking about who our God is and how he can offer salvation to the rest of the world. You've probably all found yourself in this situation where you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, and I know that it would be good for me to talk about my faith, but what if I can't, what if I don't explain it all right, or what if I leave parts out, or what if I tell my story like, like JJ was describing it, and I'm scaring little children to death, you know, or what if someone asks me a question and I just don't know the answer, I'm just not qualified, and, and I think what happens is when we start to feel unqualified like that, we just don't do it. Because we feel like it's safer for me to just not screw it up and do it wrong. So I'm just not going to say anything. I'll just keep my mouth shut. I'll just let someone else, someone who's a professional, someone else who's been trained in this, someone who's gone to Bible school or who's gone to seminary, I'll let them do it. Because I don't want to do it wrong. And, you know, the, the Bible, it talks about this. And we are going to look at Jesus being salt or, or Jesus telling us that we're salt. And I think that this is such a cool picture that he gives us. And I'm guessing that most of you have heard this story before. Um, but sometimes when we talk about it, I, I think we miss out on this really big piece that Jesus is intending for us to pick up on. So there are Bibles under your chair. You can pull those out. And we're going to turn to um, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at this passage together. And while you're turning, I'm just going to open our time in prayer. So if you need to keep your eyes open while you're flipping, that's okay. I think Jesus is okay with that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and open our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for the words that you have given us. I thank you that 
Um, in your grace and your sovereignty, you have preserved your word, the Bible, for us so that we can continue to know about who you are, about who we are, about the way that you want to relate to us. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that, that your words would be communicated clearly today and that we would better understand what it means for us to be salt and light and um, how we are to reach the people around us. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for saving us. Thanks for everything that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says this, you are the salt of the world, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, um, as we, we'll move on and look at the other verses in just a minute, but as we think about salt, what are some of the things that salt does for food? Any ideas? Okay, brings out the flavor. Matt's an awesome cook, so if he ever invites you over, you should go to his house because he will make way better food than you can make. I'm pretty sure I can guarantee that. It's really good. Anything else? Okay, it preserves stuff. I think these are typically the two big ideas that we talk about when it comes to this passage, that as salt, we, f- we bring flavor to things, right? We bring like a, a new flavor to the world, and we also have this preserving quality because we are able to point people to eternal life. What else does salt do? If you eat salt like maybe an entire bag of potato chips, it makes you feel thirsty, right? I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I think typically when we eat a lot of salt and people who make food and put salt in it, there are no dummies, right? Because they know that that's, I mean, that's what you're, it makes you want to eat more, but it also makes you thirsty. And so as I look at this passage, I started to think, okay, so if, if my job as salt is not just to preserve and not just to flavor, but my job as salt is to make people thirsty. And then it was just like one of those moments where you know the Holy Spirit is just connecting dots for you. Because I don't know if you know this, and we're not going to take time to turn to it, but let me read you these verses from John chapter 4. This is what Jesus says. He's talking to a woman who is at a well, and she has said, do you want me to give you some water? And this is what he says to her. Anyone who drinks this water, talking about the water coming from the well, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And from this passage, we see that Jesus is given the title living water. That Jesus is the living water. And so Jesus doesn't say to me and he doesn't say to you, hey, you need to be water for people. You need to provide for them the sustenance to life. If any of you have gone for a while without water, you know you can't survive forever, right? Like eventually you will die because you will dehydrate because your body is made up of so much water. It's necessary. Jesus doesn't say to you, be the water to save people. Jesus just says, be the salt that makes people recognize that they need the water. Our job as people is to help people understand there is something more, something that you were created for, something that is going to bring peace and fulfillment to your life like nothing else in this world can. And I honestly believe that deep down, and if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, I think that you can identify this in your own life, that we know that that's true. Like we're born into this world created in God's image and we recognize I'm made for something more 
than what I'm experiencing. And, and it, but it's not until someone finally introduces us to the truth of who Jesus is that we recognize this is what I've been missing. All along, this is what I've been missing. Jesus doesn't say to you, fix people. Jesus just says, make people thirsty for the one who can fix them. Him, the living water, Jesus. Now, if we go back to that passage in Matthew, so hopefully you kept that open, Matthew chapter 5, he gives us another example. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. So this is right after he tells us that we're salt. He then says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. The Dune Testament actually talks a lot about light in connection with Jesus. Um, in John eight twelve, John tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. And in Ephesians chapter five, verse eight, we see that Paul tells us, the guy who wrote the book of Ephesians says that we are children of light. And so even in this analogy, even in this example, we can see that Jesus isn't asking us to be something in and of ourselves. Jesus isn't saying, figure out how you can light up the whole world on your own. Hopefully you've got matches or something and you can make this work. Jesus is the light of the world. And now you are, according to Matthew, the lamp, which is not an ultimate light, right? Like if you have a lamp and then you go outside to where the sun is shining, the lamp you know, you might as well just drop it on the ground. Not that big of a deal in comparison to the sun. Jesus is the ultimate light. We are simply a reflection or a smaller portion of that light. He's not asking you to be something that he's not already. He is the ultimate and he simply asks you to reflect it, to be a child of the light, to be a lamp. You can't fix anybody I can't fix anybody. Jesus hasn't asked us to do that. And I think sometimes we try to make our job more important or bigger than it actually is. I think the reason that we feel so unqualified and so terrified when it comes to sharing our faith is because we think this person's eternity rests with me. I have to save them. The Bible is so clear that you can't save anybody. God is the one who saves people. Your job is simply to be the messenger. Your job, my job, is simply to be the salt and to be the light. To point people to the living water. To point people to the ultimate light. At this point, some of us are still going, okay, like I hear what you're saying, but I still don't know how to do that. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So now what, what are the steps that I take? I think there are a few things that we can do. And I think, first of all, as you recognize that God has done something in your life, that's the, be that's the best place to start with people. And so I would encourage you and I would challenge you even today to think about who is the one person that you know? Maybe you know lots of them. Hopefully you know lots of people who don't know Jesus. But who is one person that you know that you're going to be able to interact with this week? Maybe it's like, Physically, you're going to see them. You're going to get to hang out, spend time together. Maybe you can call them on the phone. But who is one person that you know who has not yet met Jesus in a personal way? Who is that person? Can you identify who that person is? And will you intentionally decide this week 
to make contact with them, to be salt and light to them. And so what does that look like? I don't think it necessarily means that you have to take them through like an entire inductive Bible study from Genesis to Revelation, right? Like, hey, you need the living water. Let me explain to you the entire story of the Bible so that you can understand it. I think the best place to start is with your story. That's why we celebrate stories every week here at Movement. Because people's stories, you can't argue with that, right? You can't argue with me that I have experienced God doing work in my life. You may, you may ask questions about it. You may say, well, I personally haven't understood it, but what a, good, what a good place to start to say, let me just tell you what God has done in my life. Let me tell you the way that I recognized that I was thirsty the way that I recognized that I was created for something more and I, I just didn't have it. And let me explain to you how Jesus became the answer, how Jesus satisfied that longing in my soul. So I encourage you to choose one person, maybe even write their name down. I don't know, some of you take notes, some of you take notes on your phone. Um, Mark always makes fun of me because I actually write things down with a pen and paper. I'm old school, right? He's like, why don't you type stuff? I don't know. Um, Because I like to have it written out. That's what his voice sounds like to me too. Um, But maybe you write it down. Maybe you type it in your phone. Who is it that the spirit is laying on your heart right now that you need to be intentional this week with? And and, And then plan to share your story with them. And the last thing I would say is pray. I think that we, under, we underestimate the power of prayer. Honestly, I think that we underestimate the power of prayer. The spirit, again, is the one who's going to work in their hearts and work in their lives. The spirit is the one who's going to save that person. You just deliver the message. He's going to do all the work. That's so awesome. And what we also know from scripture is that the spirit knows that person's heart way better than you're ever going to. So they know the kind of stuff that they're walking through. They know the things that they're experiencing. They know the things that are holding them back from from coming to Jesus. So why wouldn't you talk to the one who knows their heart better than anybody else? Ask the spirit to do work. Ask the spirit to soften them. Ask the spirit to show you what sort of things to say because he wants to do that. Bathe this whole situation in prayer. Give it all to the, to the Lord. Give it all to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to work. And then be bold and share your story and see what he does. You may not see somebody come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ this week. That's okay. If, if we're being honest, we can all recognize in our own lives that it's a process, right? Even listening to Sarah and JJ tell their stories today... They, they interacted with some of the truth of the gospel throughout their lives before they actually came to the point where they yielded their hearts to him. You may just be one step in the process. It may be years before this person comes to know the Lord. That shouldn't discourage us. That should make us excited that we get to have anything to do with it at all. So who, who is it that you're going to share with? Plan to share your story and then pray. And I would say pray every day this week. It doesn't mean you have to be like on your knees for an hour praying for this person. Maybe it does. For some of us, maybe that is what we need to do. But to choose to pray daily, maybe on your way to work, you don't turn the radio on and you just pray on your way to work for this person that God has laid on your heart, that you would have an opportunity to talk to them, that you would be bold and that he would make this person thirsty for the living water. 
Maybe some of you this morning, you recognize even as we've been talking, as we've been singing, as you heard Sarah and JJ tell their story, as we've looked at God's word, you recognize maybe I feel a little bit thirsty. Maybe this is a decision that I've never made. Maybe I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe even like Sarah and JJ, they have, you know, they heard the truth of the gospel. They were around the church. They grew up in a Christian family, but they hadn't made the decision to give their lives to him until they were in law school. And so maybe today you find yourself in the same place. You go, I'm familiar with all of this, but I still have that thirst that the living water has never quenched. Jesus came so that you could have life. Um, So we're all born into this world and God created you. He created you to be in a relationship with him. But we have screwed it up really badly because we all sin, which is just doing things wrong, right? And so this started all the way back with Adam and Eve. They started to make choices of doing wrong things, of sinning. And so the Bible tells us that there's, there's now a penalty for sin, just like there is when, whenever we wrong someone, whenever we do something wrong, you have to pay the debt of that thing that you've done. So the Bible actually says that the debt for sin is death. We deserve the death penalty for doing things wrong because God is offended by the wrong things that we've done. But that's why Jesus came and that's why he died. He experienced the death penalty so that you didn't have to. And all you have to do then to accept Jesus is to recognize, I have done things wrong. I deserve the death penalty, but Jesus died in my place. And when you recognize that, that he died for you, and that's that's the reason that we want to live a different kind of life out of thankfulness, out of gratitude for the things that he's done. So if that's you, if you recognize, I have never made that decision Personally, I've never made that decision to give my life to Jesus. I would love to talk to you. I'll be in the back. Mark will be in the back. Maybe you talk to the person who brought you today. What does it look like to give your life to Jesus? It, we, we can do it today. It's, it's as simple as it's not a magic prayer. There's nothing you know, tricky or magical about it. It's just simply saying, I recognize that I do things wrong and I need you in my life. And then he comes and he lives inside of you and it changes everything. It doesn't make your life perfect. It doesn't mean that everything's easy from here on out. But it does mean that now you are saved forever. Spend eternity in heaven with Jesus forever. And it means that now you have tasted and experienced this living water. And like Jesus says, it becomes a spring inside of you, bubbling up so that you can then offer that to others. There is nothing more important than making that decision for yourself. And as a church, we exist to be a movement of people finding our way back to God. And so personally, if we don't start to take this really seriously, we can't ever accomplish that vision. We can't expect the people who who are paid by movement, which honestly is just two guys, okay, at this point. So we can't expect them to, to carry the weight of this. We can't expect it to be the paid people who are the ones who, they share their faith and they take care of it and they're the ones that save people. We are called as followers of Christ to take this seriously. We are called as his disciples to be salt that just make people thirsty. You're not going to have all the answers and that's okay. The Holy Spirit is the one who saves people anyway. Let me pray. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today. And again, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for... I thank you for the fact that you don't ask us to be the ones that save people because you know that we couldn't handle that job anyways. I thank you that... um, I thank you that you're big enough and powerful enough to, to save anyone that you want to. And I thank you that you give us the opportunity to be a part of it, that you give us the opportunity to talk to our friends about the difference that you've made in our lives. I pray that this week um, you would give us boldness. I pray that you would lay specific names on our minds and on our hearts that we would know who you want us to share with. And God, I pray that you would give us lots of opportunities. Jesus, if there are people here this morning who have not made that decision, who have not given their hearts and lives to you, I pray that you would make them miserable this morning until they make that decision. Because, Lord, there's, there's just nothing more important. There is nothing more important than making that decision today. Thank you so much for who you are and for what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name.